By the way, we may have traveled a long way to get here. And in Thailand, that's how you travel sometimes. Yeah. The problem with that is filling it up. Like when you go to your tank and you fill it up, you go to the gas station, right? You think that's that's bad, right? Uh-uh. Try filling that up to go down the road. And by the way, having said that, uh, as I look around the room, I remember many, many years ago sitting uh, in Howard and Jackie's home uh, doing Shabbat because that's all there was. And then eventually we met at some little church in that little room. They let us stay in for a while. And then I look out here and I see this. I'm just blown away at God's goodness. Just blown away. A lot of faces I recognize, some new ones. And just happy to be here. I feel like Joseph when it says, And he fell on Benjamin's neck and wept. And that's how I feel. Grateful. For family. Just grateful. So, I'm grateful for you. And if I fall on your neck and cry, just let me do it. Like a blubbering idiot. But sometimes you got to show your love this way. Okay. Well, we're waiting for a connection. Okay. Let me go back one. It's a little slow. Like me. Well, okay. So in Thailand, we have many different ministries that we do. <laughs> is it is it because it's not close enough? Let me see. Oh, I think it's the HDMI cable, right? Yeah, okay. And we're back. All right. Just a small commercial break. Okay, so the 1040 window is all that in blue there. And the 1040 window has two-thirds of the world's population. And three out of every five people have no access to the, to the gospel. None. Three out of every five. Right? And so we have been given the task. The scope, the scope of our ministry has, has grown exponentially. Whereas before we were in Thailand just doing ministry there among Thai people and tribal peoples up in Korean villages and in the mountains and other places in the city. Now our ministry has expanded to cover the 1040 window. So we have pastors in Nepal, Pakistan, uh, China, Myanmar, Thailand and other places that it's been given us the task to go and care for them. And we'll talk more about that. Later, but right now we'll, we'll tell you more about what we do in Thailand. So there's an expat community in Thailand. Expat just means people who are from other countries who have moved to Thailand and now live there. And so these people are actually not being reached. Like in Chiang Mai, if you were to count all the missionaries in Chiang Mai City where we live, and then count the missionaries in the other places in all of Thailand... There are actually more missionaries in Chiang Mai than all those other missionaries combined. And yet, the expat community in Chiang Mai is not being reached. And believe me when I tell you they're lost. They are very lost. And so, Keitha and I have taken it upon ourselves to get to know some of these expat people. 
and begin to share lives with them and begin to share the gospel with them. And these are just a few of those people. So one of the things that Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says is that we are to go to all the nations, right? And who knows the Greek there for all the nations? Anybody? Keitha, what's the Greek? Ooh, I love my woman. Did you hear that? Panta ta ethne. All the ethnic groups. How many ethnic groups are here in Dothan? How many? Name some. Are people from India here? Huh? Are, are Spanish people here? Yes. Who else? Who else is here? Koreans. Koreans? Who else? Vietnamese. Vietnamese people are here. Chinese people are here. Do you have ethnic groups here in Dothan? Yes. Reach them. They're the Pantata ethne. You want to be a missionary? You can be one right here in Dothan. Reach them. Unfortunately for us, we have to go overseas to do it. <laughs> That's our calling. So, one of the jobs we're supposed to do is go to the different ethnic groups, go to the different nations, and what? Make disciples. disciples. And not just make disciples, but make disciples who can make disciple makers. Replicating yourself. If the early church had not replicated itself, where would we be today? If the 11 hadn't learned everything that they learned from Yeshua, memorized it, lived his life before others, and then taught others to live that same life and teachings, where would we be today? Would we be having fellowship right now with each other? No, because the persecution would have killed them all, right? But because they replicated disciple makers, we are here today. That's why the church in China will never be destroyed. They know how to make disciples. In fact, when Mao Zedong came to to reign, he said this, He said, the church is like a snake. I just cut its head off and I will destroy it completely. He said that about the leaders, the Chinese house church leaders. And the Chinese house church leaders said, no, we're like a starfish. You cut off all our legs, we grow five more. You cut off all our legs, we grow five more. Right? They know how to replicate disciple makers. That's why the church will never be stamped out, even in communist countries. So these are some of the people that we've trained up to be disciple makers. Uh, The guy in the lower left-hand corner there as you face it, he and his family are getting ready to go to Israel. They're getting ready to move to Nazareth to work with Arab peoples. And so I've been training him for over a year now to be prepared to do that. The young man in the middle just turned 18. And uh, I tell you, better keep an eye on him. His name is Joseph Crane. He's going to be another Billy Graham. That kid can preach and loves the Word of God. Up in the upper right-hand corner, uh, that's my partner, John. He and his wife, Lynn, and their new baby, Lucas, are preparing to go back to Myanmar. He's one of the very few people that's completed the entire course of DM Squared. And so he's the first to receive that certificate. An awesome thing. Four years of study. Four years of training. And then down in the lower right-hand corner, that is a Thai church... And the pastor, his wife, and their members that we trained in this DM Square Discipleship, you know, Disciples Making Disciple Makers, and they have graduated and they are doing amazing things for the kingdom. And so one of our jobs is to be disciple makers of disciple makers. So we're doing that overseas. Yes, we go to very, very strange places up in the mountains. 
and we drive a four-wheel drive vehicle to get up there, and those roads are treacherous. I can going to tell you later about one experience we had. We went to Maserion. But Omboy is one of the villages we go to. We travel up there with a caravan of Buddhist people who go up into Korean villages to repair their schools and to give out food and to give out candy to the kids and things of that nature. But to get up there, it takes four hours to drive to the uh, county seat and then another four to six hours up the mountain to get to the village. And the four to six hours up the mountain is the part that is not for the faint of heart. Ask Keitha later, she'll tell you. So this is one of the villages that we visited. There happened to be a church there, a Korean church. And when we talked to one of the members of the church, she had said that there hadn't been a pastor there in over a year to speak to them. And we had just come on a day where we could go and we could share with them. And on this particular day, we had a short-term mission group from Idaho. Young people come and see the kind of work we do. And they begin to share uh, and preach to this group of Korean people. Now, in the left-hand corner, uh, in the left-hand picture, in the upper right-hand corner of that picture, you see the old man with the white hair sitting there? Okay, he would pass by this church every week and hear them singing and wonder why. Like, why are they singing? Like, why are they so happy? And he got the nerve to go into the church on that day. Okay? So there he is sitting there, listening in. And then when Shane stopped preaching, one of the members of that church pointed the guy out and said, he's not a believer. And this is his first time here. How would you like that happen? Huh? How'd you like someone say, he's not a believer? You'd be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> See ya, right? What happens next is he comes forward and I begin to share the gospel with him. And he gets saved Amen. on that day. He becomes a believer in Yeshua. And we gave a challenge to the church because they have two meetings. This was the early meeting. And we said, you as a church need to come around this man. You need to care for him. You need to make sure he learns what the scriptures say. And I don't have the picture up there. Let me tell you something, y'all. How do you put 18 months worth of ministry into a 20-minute presentation? How do, you, how do you do that? So this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, if you want to know more, come see me afterwards. But anyway, this man that at the next meeting, his hair is cut. He's cleaned up. And there's a man in the church with a Bible sitting next to him at the second meeting explaining to him the sermon. That happened in less than two hours. They gathered around him and they cared for him. So we do ministry up in the mountains. Some of the things we do is we rebuild schools. Uh, we feed all the people in the village three meals while we're there. And in the upper picture in the right-hand corner there is we're showing the creation to Christ story in their language, in Korean language, so that they can hear the gospel. We travel up there with Buddhists, but we share the gospel. Now, what's really interesting about this group is we've been with them, what, two years now, Keitha? And we've shared with them many, many times. But the very last time we went, 
one of the leaders of that group, Buddhist leaders, made this statement. He said, we want more Christians to come with our group because you guys share your faith. He said, we have monks come up here all the time. They never share about Buddhism, but they ask for things all the time, money, food, and things like that. But you come up here and you show love to these people. You bring food, you bring clothing, you bring uh, materials for the students, you bring uh, gifts and food and candy and games, and you love on them. And he says, we want you to be successful. We want you to have more Christians. This is a Buddhist. Okay? A leader of a Buddhist group who goes up in the mountains to help these people. And he's going, we want you to be more successful. It's the first time we've ever heard this out of them in two years. We had no idea we were making a difference in their lives. And by the way, we're the only people that look like this that's ever traveled with them. In the past, it was only Thai Buddhist people. Yes. Uh, not not well. I, I mean, I can say I'm hungry. Give me some food. Where's the bathroom? In fact, I got a funny story about where's the bathroom. The Thai uh, phrase for where's the bathroom is Hong Nam Yutinai Krab. So where's the bathroom? Had a little little person about her size, little 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 one. I said Hong Nam Yutinai, and she said Boon. Which means really, really far. You don't want to hear that when you got to go. Right? You don't want to hear boo. So these are some of the things we do up in the mountains. Oh, and by the way, when you take a shower in a Korean village, there's a large trash can full of cold water from the mountain and a pail with a handle on it. And it's. Right. So when I came back the first time back in the U.S. when I was in uh, Dallas, we were staying at somebody's house and walked in the bathroom. And I'm like, honey, how do these people take a shower? There's no trash can with water. There's no pail. She goes, it's a, it's a shower, honey. You just turn the water. So we've been gone a little bit too long. We may need some help. So there's another village called Mato Village. Also Korean people. They have a, a children's home there. And a church, the pastor there, his name is Tersan. And he asked us to come up and, uh, and to do some training. And so we came up and trained a bunch of his members in discipleship. You can see Keitha down there in the lower right-hand corner. She's saying, you got it? And they said, we do, because Anna is translating. And then in the left-hand corner, there's, of course, me. And so we do this kind of work up in the village. We also... Love on the, the, the children and the children's ministry. We go up there on their birthdays and bring them cake and hang out with them and feed them. And uh, I've preached in Turdesan's uh, church many times. So this is also part of the things we do. So this is an alternative to that. Right. be able to disciple others. Yeah, that's right. 
So yeah, if you don't have parents that can care for you, you end up in a Buddhist monastery. And uh, just to give you kind of some highlights about how cool Buddhist monks are, uh, a few months ago, a Buddhist monastery was busted for cooking meth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buddhist monks in Myanmar, uh, if a monk doesn't like me, because I'm a Christian, he goes to a military person and says, I tell you what, you kill him, and I will chant and take all that karma away plus a little. Yeah, peaceful religion. Yeah, Buddhism. If you want to know more about Buddhism, come come see me. I'd be glad to tell you. So we, we go up also on the Burmese border between Thailand and Burma, and there are refugee camps up there. And so we take food and uh, supplies to the refugees and, of course, the gospel. These are some of the refugees. And we also do pastoral training up uh, on the Burmese border. A lot of the Burmese pastors are Korean and Burmese. They come over the border and uh, we do teaching there. I taught, um, let's see, I taught on counseling with Keitha one time. We talked about uh, just basics in counseling. That was great. We had a good time doing that. And the last time I went up there, we talked about um, how Jesus is both fully God and fully man. You know, they wanted to know more about that, the hypostatic union. So went up and taught on that and uh, just had a great time. By the way, that's not a dress I'm wearing. So nobody, please don't come up to me and go, what are your pronouns? Okay? Please don't do that. That's, that's a traditional Burmese uh, outfit for men. Okay, that's what they wear. And so don't come up to me later and say, Jim, are you having gender issues? I would never notice it if you had seen <laughs> I'm not sure how to react. Help me out here. What should I just nod? Okay. So this is a refugee village in May Sidiang. Now, you see the center picture? That's my truck. And that's John and another friend of ours trying to figure out what to do. He, he figured it out. What happened was the clutch slave on my truck was leaking. And I didn't know it until we got on the mountain. And I went to put it in gear. And guess what happened? And I'm rolling backwards. And I'm like, brake! So I jump out and I look and there's no fluid in the brake reservoir well. So I'm going, oh man, what do we do? Because we were loaded down with food and stuff for these villagers, right? So the the guy uh, at the t- in the middle, he goes, oh, I'm an Aussie. He goes, I know what to do. He goes, uh, I need a small, a small something to put some fluid in. So we took the cap off a mosquito repellent spray, the cap. And he took, uh, I think they were uh, hemostats, right? And he tipped out of the brake fluid with that and put it in the slave for the clutch. And it was just enough at the lowest level for the brakes for the clutch to work. So as we went up the mountain praying, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be stuck on this mountain, you know, trying to figure out how to replace a clutch slave, right? So we get up, we get on some flat ground, we go around a, a curve, and there's an excavator clearing the road of a landfall. And the monk that was with us jumps out, goes to the excavator. They talk for a little bit. He comes back with a bottle of brake fluid, dot three. And that's how we got up the mountain into the village. So I'm telling you, we run into this stuff all the time. People run off the road. They get stuck. They get. I got stuck one time trying to cross a, a river. 
And the guy that went before me, his truck was heavier than mine. So he made it, but he loosened all the rocks on the right-hand side. So I was taking the same path as him and went just like this, clunk. I wasn't going anywhere. So they had to use a winch to winch me out. We run into these things all the time going up those roads. You know, they are, they're hazardous. But we do that because we love Yeshua and we want people to know his message. So we did make it to Mesirion. Here are some Burmese refugees receiving food. Now, there's a lot of Chinese people in Chiang Mai. And fortunately for me, I spent nine years in China. So I'm fluent in Chinese. Read it, write it, speak it, preach it, teach it, whatever. And so God opened the door for us to be able to go into that Chinese community in Chiang Mai and begin to witness and to make disciples among them. Remember, the Bible says to the Panta Tawet ethne, all the ethnic groups. So how can I do that in Chiang Mai if I don't know what groups are there? Right? And so when we found these Chinese community, we kind of dug in with them and loved on them. And Keitha teaches their kids and gives me opportunity to teach the parents. And uh, it's just been wonderful. It's been wonderful to get to know them and, and to love on them. Oh, and by the way, did you see uh, celebrating uh, Shabbat there in the lower left-hand corner? More of that to come. Many are believing in Yeshua. On the lower left-hand side was the school we went to. All those students stood up, walked forward, and received Christ. That's a Buddhist school. Okay, Upper right-hand corner, another Buddhist school. But I want to talk about the middle one in particular. Because this is really an amazing story about how our God loves people. How our God pursues people. And how our God saves people. So the man sitting in the very middle with that grayish looking color. He's got his head kind of cocked to the right there. You see him? So back in November of last year. Is that right, Keitha? September of last year. September, October, something like that last year. I get a call from an elder in this Korean village. His name is Atid. And he says, will you please come and do some evangelism in our village? I said, sure. I'm not afraid to do any evangelism. Raise your hand if you think I'm afraid to do evangelism. Okay, raise your hand if you think I'm not afraid to do evangelism. Anywhere, any place, anytime with anybody. Yeah, okay, you guys know me. So we go up there. And I get there and the teacher says, where do you want to start? I go, well, where's the witch doctor? He goes, what? I go, yeah, I want... I want the witch doctor. He goes, why? I go, you win the witch doctor, you win the village. He says, okay. Takes me to this guy's house. So we get up there, we share the gospel with him, and he's just blowing us off. He's an animist. He believes there's spirits in the, in, in the trees, and the wind, and the water, and the animals. He's like, I have more gods than you do. Why should I believe in your one God? Kind of blows me off. So I say, hey, can I pray for you? He says, sure. So I prayed for him. Let's fast forward several months. It's around Christmas time. Get another call from Atit. He says, hey, remember that, uh, that witch doctor you prayed for? I said, yeah. He said, he's dying. So what do you need? The doctor just left his house. He's got probably less than 24 hours to live. He hasn't eaten or drank anything in two or three days. Um, he's in bad shape. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. He goes, no, no, no. I just left his house 
And in a very weak voice, he said, can you send that gray-headed foreigner back here to pray for me? And he says, you're the only, well, he said white-haired foreigner, but I'm not going to buy that. Okay, let's, we're going to take, we're going to take a, a, a what, what do you call it, a, a vote. How many on this side think it's gray? How many, okay, how many think it's white? Oh, I'm going to get you. Get you. Okay. All right. I see how y'all are. Gone Gone. 18 months. That's how you're going to do me. Okay. Anyway, all love, right? All love, yeah. So anyway, send that white-haired foreigner back to pray for me is what he literally said. So we, the Lord worked it out, right? Because we had a change in our flight, flight and we were able to go. So we went up there with another couple, the Phillips. And there he was laying in a fetal position on his side on the wooden floor of his home. Not not coherent, not with us. They were smacking him to get him to come awake. And I'm kneeling there in front of him. And, I'm, and in my heart, I'm saying, Lord, what do I do? What does this guy need? And so I heard he needs life. So what else does he need? He needs deliverance from demonic possession. Amen. Well, what else does he need? He needs the gospel. I said, okay. Laid hands on him. We're all praying, Keitha and the Phillips. I said, Lord... Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, heal this man. And in the name of Yeshua, I command any and all demonic spirits that's within this man to leave him by the power and the blood of Yeshua. Amen. And when I said that, literally, y'all, he popped up like like one of those, you know what I mean? A jack-in-a-box. It scared me. He popped up and I, I drew back because I thought, well, here we go. The demons have decided to fight, right? No. He was real calm. He was in his own mind and he was staring at me. So we shared the gospel with him. And he prayed to receive Jesus, Yeshua, as his Savior. Then what happened next was, in a little bit, with some help, he stood up. He asked for water. He asked for something to eat. And all his family members and friends were freaking out. They didn't didn't know how to comprehend what had just happened. So Keitha and the Phillips and myself began to minister to them. Because they couldn't explain. As far as they knew, he was dying. He was dying. And now here he is, recovered. So fast forward a few months. Servants Church elders come out there to see what we're doing. And Patrick Ham, you you all know Patrick. He's been here before, I think he's spoken. Uh, He wanted to preach somewhere. So I take him to this village. And it was at night. And while we were going through the village, I didn't recognize the place we were going into. I thought it was the church we were going to. But it turns out we went to this guy's house. And that's the picture of him in that house with the whole church meeting in his house. And that's him praising Yeshua in his own house. No more talismans, no more idols. Him in his right mind, smiling, worshiping Yeshua. And a couple of weeks later, we got a picture of him, his wife, his daughter, and his son, all saved and all baptized and growing in Yeshua. Is our God awesome? Is our God awesome? Yes, amen. Come on, y'all. 
Oh, here's the fun stuff. Here's where it gets good. So we do a lot of Messianic things. Come to find out that there was no Messianic fellowship in Chiang Mai until we got there. So we began reaching out to people and saying, hey, come, come, come to Shabbat. So every Friday we had Shabbat at our house the entire time we've been there. And every Friday we had people show up. Bottom left-hand corner is John's wife. She's Sean People. They're going to continue the tradition of Shabbat in their home. We just had that, right? That was last year. See all the different people? The family in the left-hand side, they're from Brazil. They are also keeping Shabbat now and the feasts and festivals. Upper right-hand corner is our Chinese friends celebrating Shabbat and Hanukkah. And then down the lower right-hand, those are children from the children's home that you saw earlier. They celebrated Shabbat with us as well. Oh, yeah, we do Sukkot. This was this year. Got a funny story about the uh, sukkah there. I'm actually going to have Keitha come up and tell it. Because uh, you got to hear the stories. <laughs> I, I won't do it justice. She's got to come tell it. Sukkahs are non-existent in the northern Thailand. <laughs> Just so you know. Don't look too far. Oh, um, and so, um, I, uh, it's a tenth thing. Last year, we had gotten there so soon to sukkah we just actually kind of had sukkah in the kind of in the carport kind of area and really didn't get to have a sukkah like like i wanted to have and like we should have had so this year i was determined to build a sukkah and have it ready but again supplies are limited so using what we had i used bungee cords and um and a tarp and uh used the neighbor's fence and and the um the uh, burglar bars on the window of our side of the house and so I was there, uh, had strung up everything and had it ready. And uh, I had a, we have a banana tree in the corner of our yard. And so the, the, the company had come through and cleaning up the Mubon, the neighborhood. And they had just about cut all the banana leaves off the banana tree. And that was the, that was the banana leaves I was going to use for the top of my sukkah and a few palm branches that I had managed to find from the neighborhood. And so... Um, Anyway, that day we were able to uh, we were able to, to get it hooked up. But I was working on it, and I thought I'm going to save until uh, I'm right ready because I don't want the banana leaves to wilt too soon. So I said I'm going to save the ones that are out there. So I'm out there assembling my suka. I've cut a couple of banana leaves. I have a few there. I'm trying to get them layered up there along with the palm branches to look really really good. And I hear this whack whack whack, and I turn around and my neighbor. <laughs> is taking my banana leaves. And it's like, oh, I need those. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, and, I, and then immediately I thought, oh, Lord, forgive me for what I'm saying. You, you can have them. I've been right, I've been right. You, you have, you have, you have. And I called Jim and I said, i got to have some banana leaves. So he, he found me some and brought them to me and, and all worked out well. But the thought had occurred to me, I thought, well, what if it's, what if it's raining? Uh, you know, if it's raining, you know, the banana leaves, you know, it, it, it may not be as important as I want it to be. It's more important to be kind to my neighbor and to be loving to my neighbor um, and, and that kind of thing and showing the love of Christ rather than getting upset about a few banana leaves. And um, 
And so that night, that afternoon, certainly I could see it coming. It was rolling in from the west, and it was dark clouds, and the wind was blowing. And and I was praying, and y'all, I have the video. It came such a monsoon. It was absolutely... And I had put the banana leaves on top and then opened the window into the house because it's so hot there. We have to have the breeze coming through. And the water, when it started raining, the water sheeted off the banana leaves through the window and into the dining room. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gracious. <laughs> so we mopped everything up quick. But as the Lord would have it, by the time it was time for the Sukkot to begin, the rain had stopped. It was cooler outside because it had rained. And we went on to have a blessed fellowship with our friends there in, in our sukkah and be able to stay in the sukkah uh, and have some meals and activities there uh, for part, part of the time we were traveling during sukkah, which is fine by us because we sleep in a tent anyway yeah. uh, when we travel. So, yeah. Awesome. And then, of course, our neighbor didn't make a big deal about it. So one night we had one of our neighbors over. She's from uh, the U.K., and she said, yeah, I was talking to your neighbor, and she told me all about how you yelled at her. For, and I'm like, Keitha did not yell at her. <laughs> so anyway, we had, to, we had to figure out how to manage that. But, so we had some sukkah trials at this sukkah. But as you can see, we're all under the sukkah come rain or high water, literally. So we also do uh, work in Myanmar. In Yangon and sometimes in a place called Pinuluin, uh, it can be anything from evangelism to um, pastoral training to discipleship to all kinds of different things. And of course, you know, Myanmar right now is in the middle of a really bad civil war. Uh, so it's not so safe always to go there. Um, even on the border, you can hear gunfire and cannon fire and things like that. So, uh, But there's work to be done there. And many people won't go, right? Because they're afraid to die. Yeah, I'm not afraid to die. All they're going to do is change my address, right? And Yeshua already put in the forwarding address, so I'm not too concerned about it. So that's why Keith and I can go. We're not worried about it. So we also do missions in Vizag, India. Remember I told you the scope of our ministry is increased? So not just Thailand, not just Myanmar, but also in India. So we have many pastors in India that we go and assess their situation Make sure they get the resources they need. Make sure they get the training they need. Make sure they get the encouragement they need. Right? How many, how many like to be encouraged? Raise your hand if you like encouragement. I think you all are great. I just want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. You guys are the warriors in the kingdom. Was that encouraging? Did that feel good? I meant it, by the way. I wasn't just saying it to say it. They need it, too. They're on the front lines. In India right now, radical Hinduism is causing the death of many believers. Up in the rural areas where they go, the unreached areas, they have been told by the government, you meet a Christian, cut his head off, no problem. No problem. Bury the body, nothing's going to happen. So do you think they need encouragement? Absolutely. So we go and do that. Oh, this picture in the bottom right-hand corner Keith and I were walking on the beach and we ran into these guys. We shared the gospel with them. It was kind of cool. So we tend to do that a lot, this whole gospel sharing thing. If you don't know about that, come see me afterwards. I'd be glad to tell you about it. And so we also do uh, work in Nepal. So we flew into Kathmandu and we met Chris, one of the guys that was going to take us to Dangari and up in the Himalayan mountains to some remote areas. 
and uh, we begin to do the work up there. So upper right-hand corner is pastors that we trained in Dangari. Down below, that right there, what you're witnessing is a miracle. We baptized 17 people during day. With On the other side of the brush, people watching us do it. And the pastors warned us. You notice Keith is not in that picture. They wouldn't let the women go. Because they said, if you baptize them, and the village discovers it, and they don't like it, they're going to beat you. Maybe even kill you. So we don't want your wife over there. Do I look afraid? No. 17 people baptized. 17 mikvah. And by the way, that river is nasty. I'll tell you right now. And the sand in the bottom of it is really strange. Like when you step into it, you sink down like up to here. So I, I don't even want to know what that is. But praise Yeshua, right? We mikvah them. Upper right-hand corner, Keitha ministering to some ladies, praying for them. Down the lower right-hand corner, Keitha and Martha Tuck washing the feet. But this picture on the left, <laughs> I need to stop for a minute and tell you about that one. So it was not too long after this we left, right? Like a few days later. So I'm preaching at this church. And afterwards, I asked people if they wanted to receive Yeshua. Some came up. I think they went to the left. And we prayed for them. Some came up to the right that wanted healing. We started praying for them when all of a sudden there was a commotion on the left-hand side of the room. And I got over there and they were holding a man down. It took five grown men to hold this guy down. He was severely demon-possessed. His eyes were rolled up back in his head. He was speaking a strange language. He was snarling. He was trying to bite us. And for an hour and a half, we prayed that this man would be delivered. An hour and a half. Me, Kentuck, and four other pastors praying for this guy. And the church people praising the Lord at the same time as we're trying to cast this this demon out of this man. Well, praise Yeshua, it came out finally. And the man received Yeshua as his Savior. This happens all the time where we live. If you don't think Satan's real, if you don't think the demonic is real, please come see me. I can share story after story after story after story about how Satan is attacking and destroying people. And we have to do something about that. We have to be ready. We have to be willing to address that with the power of Yeshua, with the power of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man was delivered that day. And now he follows Yeshua not Hasatan. Osama's Philippines. So we went there twice last year. First time we went, um, they said, when can you move here? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I said, we just came here to train some of your pastors and do some evangelism. Boy, we were not ready for what Yeshua did. 
We went to three schools in a four-hour period of time. One of them had a school assembly where there was about 600 students, right? You see it in the lower right-hand corner there? That's 600 students giving their lives to Yeshua. Upper right, upper right-hand corner, those are students in a classroom giving their life to Yeshua. And that's us feeding some folks. Listen, it's wide open in Mindanao. The Spirit of God is doing an amazing work in the hearts of people. They're very receptive to Yeshua. And after we left, we prayed. And we knew we had to go back because we knew the pastors didn't know what to do with a total of a thousand people who came to faith. A thousand people in four hours. They didn't know what to do, how to disciple them. So we came back and we, we taught them how to disciple those people. And we really felt that the Lord was saying, the need in Mindanao is greater than the need in Thailand. There are plenty of missionaries that can do what we do in Thailand. There's nobody in Mindanao doing what we do. Nobody. Pastors there, they have pastors there who uh, pastor uh, congregations of anywhere between 15 to 30 people, right? No training. They haven't even read their entire Bible. Why? Because there's no biblical training there. And if you want to get biblical training, you have to go to Manila, leave your family for four years, and somehow come up with enough money to pay for the Bible college. But I, I can go, and Keitha can go, and we can train them in a year. They'll have everything they need to be an effective pastor. And you know what the cost is? Zero. The cost is you praying for us and you giving so we can do it. That's the cost. But we, it costs them nothing. Thousand people. Now, because we're going to be moving to Mindanao, some of you will probably do some research on Mindanao, and you're not going to be happy with what you find. Um, the western part of Mindanao Island is an enclave for Abu Sayyaf and Islamic Jihad. Okay? Radical Islam. And do you know how many evangelists are going to that side of the island to reach them? Maybe three or four. And some of them have already left. And one of them said, would you be willing to go? And one of the pastors said, would you be willing to go? I said, absolutely. Absolutely I'd be willing to go. I love Islamic people. Do you know that Yeshua loved Islamic people? Otherwise he wouldn't have given his life, right? And so we're going to be moving to Mindanao in March. That's going to be our new base of operations. We'll still be going to Thailand. We'll still be going to Myanmar. We'll still be going to Nepal. We're planning a trip to Pakistan. We'll still be going back to China. We'll be doing work in the Philippines. And probably God will open up some other places as well. I'd go, if you, you buy me a ticket and point me in the direction of lost people, we'll leave tomorrow. What can they do to me? Change my address? I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Maybe I'm asking the wrong question. So, the Jungle School of Medicine, when we go back to 
Thailand before we moved to the Philippines, we have an opportunity to go to the Jungle School of Medicine. Why is that important? Because in Mindanao, most of our work is going to be in the jungle. <laughs> in remote places, we went to a place called Dipadog, and it took us, whoa, uh, what, four? It was eight miles one way and almost all up mountain by foot and then back. Very remote. So most of our work is going to be in remote places. Now, I've done some EMT training. Of course, Keith is a registered nurse. But what do you do if you're out in a remote area and somebody breaks a leg or gets hurt or something like that? How do you know how to help them? So what we're going to learn is from these guys how to use stuff from the jungle to stabilize people. Right? So we're going back to, to do some training there. So that when we go to these remote places in Vinnau, we can help people physically, we can help people spiritually, we can help people emotionally. Right? Isn't that what Yeshua did? So we're trying to be like him. Somebody asked me the other day, why are you a Christian? I said, because 2,000 years ago, our Heavenly Father sent his son Yeshua to live a perfect life. And to be the mediator between us and the Father. To give his life on a cross, to be buried, and three days later rise again from the dead. And if we'll place our faith and trust in what he did, and follow him, which means I'm trying to be like Yeshua, being and becoming him before people, and sharing his love with others. That's the reason why I'm a Christian. And that's the reason why I want others to come to know him, and live that life, and know the Father's love. So we're going to go to try to help them. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for praying for us. Thank you for giving so that we can, we can do this very difficult work. Because we can't do it without you. We can't. You want to know more about how you can help us, just come see me. So I'm going to open it up to some questions just for a few minutes. I know, thank you for giving me some grace with time. Um, but I wanted you to have an opportunity to ask some questions. So, yes, ma'am. I just... I just love having the conversation. You know, I just love having the opportunity to say, hey, tell me about what you believe. Tell me about what you think life's about. And then having the conversation. And then that conversation turning into a conversation about, you know, spiritual health and well-being, if you will. You know, because most people who don't believe in Yeshua don't have really good spiritual health or well-being, Right. So I love taking a conversation on outside matters and helping it to become about inside matters, inside the heart. So I just love having the conversation. And I love people. you know. And as you can see, I'm not an introvert. In fact, I'm probably considered gregarious, which is a level above extrovert. So I like being around people. I like having conversations with people. And I genuinely love people. And I genuinely care about their spiritual health. 
And I want them to know the Savior that saved me so many years ago when I was growing up in a non-Christian home and had an abusive father who was an alcoholic and gang life and everything in between. And he saved me. He plucked me out of hell, set me on a rock and gave me life and purpose. And I have not turned back. And Gabe said, I've been through a few hardships, yeah. But that's because what people do to you, not what Yeshua does to you. Yeshua saves you and empowers you and sends you. That's what we're supposed to do. So other questions? You can ask anything. Uh, why have you lost so much weight? Uh, on a... yeah. Starving. Because we don't get enough every month from people who give. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, you ask that question. Just remember that when I give you the answer. Because you're not going to like it. You're not going to like the answer. Okay, so Gabe asked the question, uh, you know, you hear these stories about massive movements of the Spirit and hundreds and thousands of people coming to faith. But, and you hear that from different missionaries overseas, but you don't hear that same story here in the U.S., Right? Why is that? What, in my opinion, he asked my opinion, why do you think that's happening? Why we don't see that kind of movement in the United States? And my reply was, remember, you asked that question. <laughs> and you're not going to like the answer. So here's the answer. For hundreds of years, in the United States, church has been the same. Come, listen, leave it when you go out the door. We have taught people... That church is go somewhere for an hour or two, be a Christian for an hour or two. Then when you leave, you go into a different compartment. Do you, do you all know what I mean by compartmentalism? Right? You have your church compartment. You have your family compartment. You have your work compartment. You have your friends compartment. And you have your play compartment. And guess what? None of the two will meet. And that's the biggest problem. No boldness. I've been back in the States two weeks. I've already had 18 conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, with a Gnostic, with several people at Second and Charles who are hanging around the occult section, which, good fish in there, man. <laughs> One of my favorite places to fish. You're always going to strike. Right? Boldness. You're not required to be bold. You're just required to be a Christian for two hours a week. Nobody follows up. When's the last time you had a pastor look at you and say, Hey, did you obey what I preached on last week? If so, how? And can you stand up and tell everybody? God, tell me, when's the last time you heard that? Like never? Like right now? I'm saying you should do that. Let me ask you this, y'all. Honestly, 
Is Yeshua going to hold us accountable for our lives? Are we going to stand before him? Am I doing you a favor by holding you accountable? Why don't we? Why don't we? Why aren't we bold? Yes, sir. Because of the, I go to work every week and preach the gospel. Well, hey, there you go. There you go, Gabe. That's awesome. Thanks, thanks for having us back. He's still going to hear it from me afterwards. So I ask your question, why don't we? It's because in America we're complacent. We're complacent. We're not, we're not required to be followers in the way the disciples were. When persecution hit the disciples, what did they do? What did they do? They kept going. They kept learning. They kept sharing, right? When COVID hit the U.S., what did we do? Uh Oh, he went there. Oh, yeah. When COVID hit and Keith and I were in Myanmar, what did we do? I went to Nagaland, got on a plane with another pastor, and we went evangelizing. What's COVID going to do to me? Change my address? I already told you my forwarding address has been put in. We have to be bold. I love Gabe. I know he's bold. Yes, baby. Yeah, people are hungry for faith. People, people understand that their lives have, are hopeless. People want to know that there's something beyond this life. They're hungry for that. I don't know that in the United States we're hungry for that. I think some of us assume we already have it all together. We assume we're good to go. So we just live our lives the way we want to, right? But remember, being called a Christian is saying that I'm going to be like Yeshua and become like him. So when you look at Yeshua's life, how often did he spend hiding in his house hoping that nobody coughed? How many times did Yeshua say, I'll just wait for an opportunity for somebody to come up to me and ask me about myself, then I'll tell them. What did he do? He went. In fact, fact, he went out of his way to go to a Samaritan woman who was the first to hear him reveal who he was. He went out of his way to do that. We don't go out of our way. We don't. Ah, we, maybe once. Twice a year. Maybe. And you wonder why we don't see movements like this? A few years ago, Gabe, I was in a Dakota coffee shop one night. I was in there with a, another man. He was... Crying, crying and complaining, you know, oh, I just can't share the gospel. And it's just so hard. Nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to have the conversation. So there was uh, literally about 30, 30 people in Dakota that night. I stood up in the middle of the coffee shop and I said, there's something you all need to hear. It's very important. It had everybody's attention. Started asking questions about worldview. Next thing I know, they're all around our table. Next thing I know, six people are praying to receive Yeshua. And I look at this guy and I said, what's the problem again? What's the problem? Boldness. Boldness is the problem. Fear of man is the problem. I'm not afraid. I was jumped in a gang at 14, at 11. By 14, I saw my friends shot and killed. I was shot. I was stabbed. I had no fear of man at all. None. And God took that. He took that. 
And he said, I'm going to give you spiritually that gift. You're not going to have any fear. And I can send you wherever I want. And you can be my servant. And you can share my love with anybody and everyone wherever you go. That's the difference. Boldness. Why? Because I really believe Jesus is the only hope. The only hope. You're not going to win Muslims with bombs and bullets. You can stop them from being heinous and terrorists. You'll never change them. The gospel will. The gospel will. And if we can make disciples out of Muslims who make disciple makers for Yeshua, guess what? We win. We win. That's why I'm going there. I'm going to change hearts and minds with the only thing that can, the power of Yeshua. That's why I came. We're not bold enough. The church. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about this congregation. I'm saying as a nation of believers, we have convinced people it's okay to go one hour or two a week and that's good enough. And how many people are going to be in hell as a result of it? I'm concerned about that. You might not be, but I am. I'm concerned about it. So I'm going to do everything I can to my last dime and my last dying breath to see everyone that comes within earshot of my voice hear the gospel and have an opportunity to come to know our Savior. That's what Keith and I are about. And by the way, people here don't have hope either. People here wonder about what's going to happen when they die. Have the conversation. Be bold. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, how do you be bold at work? You know, it's so dangerous. Todd, would you like to stand up and tell him about your employee right here and how he acted for the years that I worked for you? Was, was I terrified to share the gospel with anybody? Yes, I mean no. <laughs> Got to be bold. Okay, let's say two more questions and then we'll, we'll finish. Yeah, where? Where? Oh, Karen. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay, so Karen said, uh, I think a, a lot of the reason why people don't witness is because they feel like they're not prepared enough. They're not, they don't know enough. And then they're, they're fearful that if they try to share and somebody doesn't come to faith, well, then it's on them. It's their fault that they didn't. So I have two things to answer that. They're both biblical. First Peter 3.15. You know what it says? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Ready? Always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared. What does that mean? Always be prepared. What does that mean, church? That means you have to be preparing, right? Are you preparing? Okay. I've literally read probably more than 10,000 books up to this time in my life. Why? I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Mathematics professor on an airplane. I was ready for him. Buddhists, I'm ready. Muslims, I'm ready. Hindus, I'm ready. Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm ready. Mormons, I'm ready. Atheists, oh, I love them. Please, please step up to the table and have a conversation. False prophets are too easy. 
You don't even need much for that. Uh, I'm not ready for messianics. They got too much going on. So that's one part of the answer, okay? Is it's on you to be prepared. Okay? It's not on Gabe to prepare you. It's on you to prepare yourself. That's first of all. Second of all, who saves people? You? Who saves people? You do, right? It's what you do, right? Okay, then why are you worried about what happens as a result of your conversation? Yeshua is glorified with you just having the conversation. If they say no, it doesn't matter. He's pleased. You water. You plant seed. Who gives the increase? Say it, brother. Who gives the increase? Thank you. So don't be afraid. I was in a coffee shop one time and sharing with this man and he gets up and one of the trans, uh, I guess it's a trans male. That's a woman who wants to be a male, right? Yeah. She gets up and she goes, I need to talk to you. I'm like, huh, okay. So she sits, uh, he, whatever, she sits down and uh, says, first thing you got to know is my pronouns are he and him. I said, great. First thing you need to know is my pronouns are your majesty and your highness. Right? In a coffee shop, crowded. Okay, your highness. All right, well, let's have the conversation. I know your type. You hate us and you say we're going to hell because of the way we live our lives. I said, wrong. I said, what? I said, wrong. Got my Bible out, turned to Exodus 20. Y'all know what's in Exodus 20? There's 10 things in there, right? 10 words. Handed it to her. I said, read this. She read it. I said, how many of those have you done? Are you a liar? She goes, yes. Have you stolen? Yes. That's sending you to hell. Welcome to my world. We're all going to hell because of that. Now, what's your issue? What was it again? Stuck her dead in her tracks. She didn't know what to say. She never had that happen. And I said, this is what's got to happen. You know, you can't change you, but the Holy Spirit can. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Yeshua, His Spirit, His Ruach HaKodesh will come into you. And that power will begin to change you. You'll be less of a liar. You'll be less of a thief and less of whatever it takes for you to stand and live and love a holy God. She started tearing up. I shared with her how you can have that that peace with God and she just couldn't do it. She got up and walked out. Have the conversation. Have the conversation. Does that answer your question, Karen? The seed is planted. That's right. It'll grow, right? 